Welcome to the Finn Global Podcast. I'm your host, Henry, and coming to us today is well-accomplished and honorary guest. Currently an associate director in the infrastructure and project finance group in MetLife. He has executed transactions excess of $7 billion. Welcoming CFA charter holder, Mr. Syed Ahmad. Thanks for that introduction, Henry. Good to be here. To set the scene for our conversation, because the quality and design of infrastructure plays such an integral part in how communities function, they thus contribute to determining economic structures, social groups, and environmental impacts. So with regards to ESG and Sustainable Development Goal, SDG objectives, how is the concept of sustainable infrastructure incorporated in institutional investment and corporate strategy? So it's an interesting question because I think there's a lot of... uh... There's a lot of emphasis right now on sustainability and uh, you know ESG and a lot of uh, uh, a lot of these topics. But if you think about institutional investment and what you know what institutions have been doing for a while, I would say their focus was uh, you know always on uh, sustainability, um, especially if you are a long-term investor. So you didn't want to you know if you're if you're investing in something for 20 years, 30 years. You definitely want to incorporate sustainability as one of your investment metrics, which you know we have been doing ever since we've been underwriting. So I think the emphasis is obviously a lot more uh, stronger now, but um, it has been in in our DNA for for quite some time. Um, so, for example, you know, twenty years ago, uh, we would know that you know there are certain investments that may, that may not be. Uh, that, that may not be viable in the next five, 10 years. So to do a 20-year investment in something like that, you know, would it, would it make sense? So, you know, when you fast forward to today and you think about our next investment, our next 20-year investment, you know, we always think about those sectors that make sense. So, you know, if, if it is related to, uh, let's say, a non-ESG type sector, we'll, we'll think hard about it and say, okay, well, um, does that really make sense for our portfolio? Um, you know, can we really go 5, 10, 15, 20 years in something like this and get the returns that we expected because, um, you know, it's, it may not be sustainable in that time frame. So I think I would say long-term investors have always had that uh, in, in the back of their mind. But I think given today's environment, I think it's definitely a lot more emphasized and a lot more broadcasted and transparent in the underwriting process. Right. And on to our second question. In recent years, existing infrastructure in developed countries such as the U.S. has deteriorated to the point where it can no longer adequately meet today's requirements. Recent estimates by reinsurance company Swiss Re show that emerging markets like China will invest an average of 2.2 trillion U.S. dollars, or 3.9% of GDP annually, in infrastructure to 2040, close to double the aggregate spent in advanced markets. So how can the U.S. create balance to both avoid infrastructural obsolescence, but also increase investment to meet growth and sustainability targets? That, that's a loaded question. So uh, I think we can look at it from, from two perspectives. The first perspective is that, you know, it, in the U.S., the way infrastructure projects get funded. So 
you know, unlike other countries, I think in the U.S. you have a lot of sources of funding. So, you know, you have government sources, and that comes from federal, local, state governments that could fund the project. Um, you know, in terms of the, the private financing, you have um, you have you have uh, municipal bonds, you have private placement bonds, you have banks, and you have equity that could come in. So, in terms of the sources of financing, there's a, a lot of them out there uh, that could support the, the U.S. infrastructure initiative. I think what needs to happen is there needs to be. Uh, you know, we've, we've sort of had an infrastructure bill uh, discussed, you know, with every administration. And, you know, there's been uh, always talks about, hey, there's going to be, you know, some trillion dollar infrastructure budget that will come and, um, you know, renovate and, and build new infrastructure and fix the existing one. Obviously, the, the conditions of the ones we have right now are, are not great. So we definitely need, you know, government support on one end to, to assign funding to these projects. And I think, you know, both, both sides of the aisle need, need to agree on, on a package and, and get the ball rolling. I think the other uh, issue that comes up is, um, you know, some of these projects. So, for example, um, you can have road, you can have roads which are both toll roads and not you know roads that are not toll. And if you think about it, the the revenue for those projects will be different. So you know for for the toll roads, obviously that 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 road actually generates revenue, and you can use some of that revenue to repay for for uh, infrastructure. Versus a road that is not toll, you know you, you can't. And uh, that just needs to be purely financed with some sort of government support or guarantee. So I think I think the idea is, you know, we, we probably have a lot of those types of roads that are not told that are, you know, in, in, in not the best shape. We have other projects that don't generate revenue that uh, are deteriorating and need to be supported by government initiatives. So I think you know, uh, a part of the, the whole infrastructure package should include governments um, trying to support those projects, not only with funding, but also with um, uh, sort of an easier way to, to facilitate those projects, whether that is, uh, you know, permitting, rights of way, a lot of the, the, let's call it the approvals that are needed, sometimes they take too long. And then obviously, administrations change and it changes the whole scope of the project. So, um, you know, we need to standardize that a little bit as well. So, um, you know, I think uh, other countries might have figured that out and it, it might be less complex for them given that it's all done, you know, at, at a, let's call it a federal level or a state level. I think what makes the U.S. a little bit more complicated is the fact that we do have different uh, levels of government and each of those governments have to then support the project. Agreed. And kind of to your point of the complexities involved in, you know, especially the U.S. government, um, although infrastructure assets are long-lasting capital assets, non-cyclical, meaning they tend not to follow market and economic trends, they're often government-backed. What potential risk may investment in this sector produce? Um, in assets like those, you're, you know, you're definitely taking um, 
you're definitely taking political risk. So, uh, you know, when you compare a project, let's just say a project in the US versus in Canada or Australia, um, a lot of times projects in those countries, uh, they have been procured and, um, you know, uh, established by the government, then they do become a government liability in terms of funding and financing and investors in those projects know that the governments are supporting it and, and you know, they're, they're behind it. Um, one of the risks in the U.S. market is often appropriations risk, which means that you know, each level of government goes through an annual uh, budgetary approval on all their expenses, which may include some of the projects that investors have invested in. And you, know, you do take political risk in, in the U.S. because let's just say you know, administrations change, you know, whether it's at the local, state, or federal government, um, the support for that project may not be as strong as it was before. And then you're, and if they are approving annual budgets, you know, a new administration can look at that budget and say, why are we spending this much on, on this particular project? You know, we, we might not need it or it's too expensive. And, and uh, you know, we may need to reprofile it or, or something along those lines. We haven't seen that at all. And I think, you know, the way investors are, the investors can protect themselves is invest in projects that are super critical to the government. So, um, you know, a, 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 an event like that doesn't actually happen. But, um, you know, that's one of the, the risks in the U.S. infrastructure market that you know, everything does go through, for the most part, is their appropriations risk. Um, Secondly, I would say, you know, when you are investing in these uh, infrastructure projects, you know, if, if you are a private investor coming into the projects, then more than likely there is also a private operator or private you know, developer that is developing or operating or maintaining that asset. And, um, you know, you are relying on your expertise on them fulfilling their responsibilities under, uh, you know, under their contract. So, um, you know, if it's a road, if it's an airport, if it's a port, you know, these operators need to know how to operate those types of assets. And if you are an investor, you know, you have to align yourself with, with those types of operators that know the industry, that know the sector, so that, you know, one, you are, as an investor, you are, um, you're protected and, and you know, you, you know that the project will do what it's supposed to do. Um, and two, you you know, as an investor, you want to generate returns. Right, that makes sense. And moving on, infrastructure systems like healthcare, power, sanitation, and water have played a critical role in providing essential services, especially during the COVID nineteen crisis we continue to overcome. However, these systems have been faced against immense stress and vulnerability that have amplified prevalent issues such as underfunding and poor maintenance. In that case, to hedge risk, what performance benchmarks do investors look at when deciding whether to make allocations to infrastructure assets or hold back due to risks you mentioned that often arise from ESG factors concerning market indices and public disclosure requirements? So, um, you know, you mentioned healthcare, and uh, you know, I think healthcare is a completely different. Uh, it's a very interesting topic, and I think it's, it's obviously very complicated in the U.S. And, 
you know, you have, uh, you know, depending on the healthcare system, if it's a network, if it's a single single facility, how just, you know, what is, what are most of its uh, revenues, whether it's predominantly Medicare or Medicaid or, you know, insurance. I think all those factors sort of go into, into that type of system and, you know, uh, from a from an investment standpoint, I think investors have to look at all of that before they make a decision. Uh, but taking a step back, when we think about infrastructure investments, there aren't you know there in terms of ESG, there's a number of resources out there that, that allow investors to um, to 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 assess uh, you know the, the the environment, social governance parts of the investment. So, um, you know, if it's a public company, there's a lot of disclosures out there. And then you have third party, um, you know, resources that also rate that company on each of those metrics. So investors do rely on that, um, you know, to, to, I, I would say rely is probably not the best word, but they do look at it. I think it's a factor. And, you know, even if you're looking at bonds, you know, the bond rating agencies, so moving this SMP pitch, they have started to incorporate ESG into their framework as well. And, you know, they will write uh, a few comments about those. So, um, you know, we have seen, we have seen more ESG metrics being broadcasted. Um, in terms of performance benchmarks, I don't think there is anything specific, as I mentioned, that we would, we would certainly you know, look at. I think each asset is very different. Uh, you know, when you look at an asset, uh, you know, a road is, uh, you know, you would compare it to other roads and you try to look at, you know, whether this road makes sense from, a, you know, from, from a value perspective. Does it make sense from a investment perspective? Does it make sense to invest in it for 20, 30 years? You know, and, and you wouldn't compare a road to an airport. In general, they're, they're a little bit different. So when you look at an airport, you would compare airports to airports. So, uh, you know, I think there, there, there isn't a general infrastructure benchmark per se, um, but there's a lot of different factors that sort of go in for each asset. And I think you have to look at them uh, Understood. And moving on, the latest Global Sustainable Investment Alliance report on sustainable assets in 2018 showed that 51% of the U.S.'s total $31 trillion in assets were allocated to public equities, 36% to fixed income, with the remaining 13% in private markets, including infrastructure. Generally speaking, are ESG factors and investments perceived more as a value driver, such that it becomes an opportunity for higher financial returns, or do they highlight non-financial goals that investors find ethically apt to promote? I think it's a, I think it's a bit of both. So, you know, I think going back to one of our previous points, investors will want to invest in ESG assets because they will, they will be there, you know, uh, as a long-term investment. So when you, when you think about, um, you know, investing in, in, the, in an asset that may not be there, you know, that, that may not have the best environmental metrics, let's just say, you know, if you were to invest in coal or, or any of those types of companies, um, you know, while you might get value for it today, 
um, you know, you may not get the value for it in five years or 10 years because coal might be obsolete, obsolete by that. So it, 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 is, it is an incentive for investors to, to um, look at ESG and invest in ESG assets. So, you know, while there may not be additional value for ESG, so for example, you know, if you have a, um, you know, if you're looking at a, a super green investment today, you know, it, it might not be the most economical investment just because, you know, uh, at, at the moment, everyone wants to invest in, in something like that. So in terms of returns, uh, you know, it's very competitive and the, the entire market is, you know, looking at assets like those. But in the long run, you know, at least that that investment will be will be there, sustainable investment and your returns, you know, will, will more than likely not get impacted by, let's just say, uh, broader macro trends that are going on. You know, in, in today's underwriting case, you can make a, make a case that this, this, this investment will survive. So, um, you know, I think in, in terms of if it's an opportunity for higher financial returns, um, maybe it's not higher returns, but it is sustainable returns because investing in the opposite may not get you the same returns that you expected, or it might even be lower, or it might be obsolete. So, um, you know, when you look at a lot of these uh, companies, you know, the public companies with, that are investing a lot in, in green initiatives, you know, you can just compare the market caps of, let's call it Tesla versus, you know, some of the, the oil majors that are that are in the fossil fuel industry, and you can just look at the multiples there. You know, the the, the market is definitely valuing um, future sustainable growth. Uh, you know, over you know, uh, let's say sectors that may not be prevalent or may not be the the strong sectors. You know, in the future, and um, you know. As I mentioned, it may not mean that it's higher financial returns, but it means that you know those companies are definitely valued more, and um, investors do do think that their investment will be safe in this in the long term. We touched upon this previously, but going more into the regulation side of ESG, in President Biden's Build Back Better plan that was recently revealed, he proposed a national effort aimed at building modern, sustainable infrastructure and delivering an equitable, clean energy future. In light of this claim in current ESG-oriented infrastructure, what kind of long-term expectations can investors expect when investing in infrastructure assets and related commodities? So I think... Um... You know, and, and this is the part where I think, you know, uh, the U.S. should lead in this, in this area. When you think about a lot of the companies that are in a clean energy future, you know, as I mentioned, Tesla's part of it, and there's a lot of new startups and, and, and companies that are uh, investing in battery storage, that are investing in electric vehicles, uh, you know, uh, they're investing in renewables, so a lot of solar, wind, um, I think, you know, we need, a, for, for any, let's just say for, for any, uh, for any new sector, for any new investment, you definitely need government support in the beginning. So for example, 
wind and solar assets uh, you know, are not 30 years old. They're, they're, they're relatively new at the market. You know, maybe 15, 20 years uh, max uh, you know, in terms of their, their performance. So when they first came out, the government supported them with aligning investors to take uh, tax credits you know, uh, and, and, and to give them higher incentives as an investor to promote these investments. And that allowed a big growth within the, within the renewable industry. And some of those credits might still exist, but over time, the government, you know, obviously saw that these sectors were, were are popular and, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense for both the public and private industry to invest in, in these sectors. And as more, um, as more emphasis uh, goes from, fossil fuels to, to renewable energy, you know, you're obviously seeing a growth within this sector. So I think when you can, when you take that example and look at, uh, uh, you know, the future with clean energy, you know, uh, right now renewables are obviously a part of the electricity grid, but they're not, they're not a huge component of it, uh, just given that, you know, wind only goes at night and, and solar is on the is only on during uh, sunlight hours. So how do you make solar go twenty-four hours and how do you, you know, make wind go twenty-four hours? Uh, you know, right now they're both probably at a third of what their capacity can be. So uh, to to facilitate that, you need you know some sort of technology that helps store that energy when it's not being used, which is where you get the battery storage. And obviously, battery storage at the moment is still a relatively new sector. Uh, you know, there hasn't been, you know, 5, 10, 15 years of performance history on batteries where an investor can easily say, yeah, I can make this investment for 20 years with this one, um, you know, in, in battery storage because we still don't know what the performance of batteries is going to be like five years from now. It's just not, it hasn't been proven. So to, to advance, Projects like that you definitely need a little bit of government support, or government guarantees, or some sort of incentives that allow investors to take that risk. And once once that investment has proven itself, then the market will look at it and say that's a good investment. I think we will definitely, you know, we can do that. And you know, there's there's uh, um, you know there's always a saying that past performance doesn't mean you know doesn't dictate future results, but you know, when you're thinking about technology risk, operating risk, uh, I mean, you do have to rely on some sort of track record as an investor to, to invest. And not to, um, <clears throat> when you look at the, the, the new plans coming out of the government, it is exciting to, to know that there is an emphasis on, on the clean, future, clean energy future. And, you know, I think the details are still TBD, but I think if the government can support projects like that, if the government can support, for example, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of talks about uh, you know cars becoming all electric at some point in the future. But to facilitate that, you need infrastructure to get there. You know, a lot of a lot of buyers right now don't want to buy electric cars because you know if they want to go from point A to point B, they have to take a, you know, a detour so that they can charge their car. It's not as easy as taking your uh, gas combustion car and going to point A and point B, and there's 50 gas stations on your way. You know, so, so right now, 
consumers have to think about that when they want to purchase how much they need. If the government can support an initiative where they can build more of these electric vehicle uh, charging stations and, and have some government support there, um, <clears throat> you know, I think that could spur more incentives for consumers to buy more of these cars. So, you know, I think it is a good start. I think, you know, we'll see what the final details look like. Um, but I think as investors, we are definitely excited. Uh, I think, you know, as, as long-term investors, you have to think about what kind of risks are you taking? What kind of risks is the government taking? Are they protecting investors in the long run? Uh, you know, we always obviously have to think about it from our own standpoint that, uh, you know, is there technology risk, is there operating risk, is there financing risk? You know, those are the things that we'll, we'll have to think about. But this really aligns well with ESG and, and sustainability. So I think, you know, the entire market will be very excited when, once this is, uh, once there's more details and it's, it's passed through the office. Yeah, agreed. Looking forward to the future. Um, and lastly, from industry trends, it can be seen that more pension funds and insurance companies have chosen to integrate ESG policies into their investment decisions, therefore demonstrating the intangible value of these practices. Furthermore, several um, international guidelines have been developed to help measure ESG compliance, including SDG and the Sustainable Accounting Standards Board, SASB. Uh, though challenges such as um, lack of common ESG definition and inadequate data to perform ESG analyses may pose hurdles to quicker adoption of ESG. Um, based on that information, how can governments and businesses approach dealing with multiple ESG frameworks to identify the most necessary tools to evaluate sustainable infrastructure investment? I think it comes down to the same way uh, investors are also looking at it. I think you know each. Um, each government, each business can be operating in a, in a completely different environment. And, uh, you know, there might be, for example, Europe, Europe has a lot more strict rules than, than other you know, countries. So um, I think there, to put it simply, there probably needs to be some global initiative that, uh, you know, aligns or, or at least standardizes some of these disclosures. So for example, you know, when you think about uh, when you think about financial statements, right? Like the, there could have been a world where everyone would um, all these businesses could have their own financial statements the way they wanted to. Uh, but now there's only a few different options. If you want to get audited financial statements, you know, you have to use your GAP or IFRS or you know a, a, an approved accounting method that is approved by a global community so that you know the, the investors and the community can understand your, your financial results. I think in a similar fashion, at some point, I think that's, that might happen in, in, uh, in the ESG world as well. There might be some global standards. You know, there are third-party um, third uh, reports and, and agencies that evaluate ESG for, for companies and businesses and governments as well. Um, but there hasn't been, you know, I think there, there's a lot of them out there. And, you know, I think as the world evolves, we'll see where they 
where they go, where what's you know the, the, the global community starts looking at and starts focusing on. Um, because it's still a relatively uh, it's not a new topic, but it's an evolving topic. Uh, you know, I think I'm not sure if that global standard is going to be here in the next, you know, two years or three years or five years. I mean, it could be. And in the way it's been progressing, the way a lot of, uh, you know, investors and long-term investors, and, and really the, the world is uh, quickly gravitating towards ESG. I think it may, it may end up happening quicker. But, um, you know, at least we're not at a place where there are no disclosures or there are no frameworks. There, there are a number of providers that do provide their own framework. And I think it's up to the individual, uh, individual investor or, or um, decision maker to look at which framework you know, makes sense or look at all of them and you know, sort of form their own opinion on what they think about this type of investment. So, uh, so yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, I-, I think that's what's going to happen at some point. That's my own personal opinion that at some point there might be a global standard of, of ESG you know, frameworks and disclosures. Uh, when that will happen, I'm not sure. Uh, well, hopefully, come soon though. Um, but well, Mr. Ahmad, uh, thank you so much again for joining me on the show. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you to discuss the many factors of responsible infrastructure investing and the importance of global markets. Thanks for having me. And just to, just to disclose, these are you know, my own personal views. Uh, you know, it's, it's exciting to be in the infrastructure industry. It's exciting to watch ESG becoming a bigger part of, of the entire community and entire market. Uh, and hopefully if we talk again soon, there is a framework and there is an infrastructure bill that is more detailed on the clean energy. And, you know, there are more, let's say, uh, ways for investors to get involved in ESG infrastructure and assets. Appreciate you taking the time, great discussion, and hope to chat again soon. Thanks, Andrew. You've been listening to the Fin Global Podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every month. Check out our latest episodes on your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and check out our socials for more information.